Welcome to Bitchy History, the irreverent history podcast whose host should apparently invest in a desk calendar because I thought that Thursday was the 14th and planned to release a Valentine's Day episode and then actually uh, Wednesday was the 14th. So you're actually getting this episode the day after Valentine's Day. Oops. All right, everybody, welcome to Bitchy History. Uh, We're back with another guest episode, and this is really cool because this is our first time we've had a guest returning from last season. So uh, so Amanda has been on the show before. We did a history, an episode on the history of drag in, in America in the first season of Bitchy History, uh, which I'll post a link to in the de- episode description of this episode, so you can find that episode if you'd like to go back and listen to it. Uh, and today we are getting together to do kind of a special Valentine's Day episode here um on the concept of boston marriages uh so would you like to introduce yourself amanda hello i'm just here to talk about the romantic concept of financial independence really. i know so <laughs> it's an amazing like it's an amazing concept right uh being being financially independent it's very sexy it's uh, true yeah uh anyway my name is amanda timpson i am a public historian i have a social media platform called yesterqueers uh, where I talk about queer history from uh, all periods of time and all parts of the world. Fantastic, because you know I do I do women's history, you do queer history. It's a match made in heaven, because you know, perfect. Turns out there have been some queer women throughout history. Turns out, yeah, uh, which is remarkable. This is not related to the topic of this episode, but I always find it funny when any sort of like homophobic legislation is up on <laughs> in, anywhere. It's always focused on men. It's like the, the women don't even exist. Yeah. Uh, at all, which actually does kind of tie into this episode because I have a little thing I want to talk to you about, uh, talk later about, which is uh, the concept of women not having sexual desires, which is a, a weird little subset. Yeah, it's it's amazing how... It's amazing how much women throughout history have managed to sort of get away with simply because it never occurred to the men in charge that women would ever be interested in sex or romance or anything that didn't involve a man. It, so. it, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, I'm like, what? what is wrong with all of you people? But at the same time, I also am hesitant to point out their stupidity because I, I don't want to have to deal with them on it. You know, like just if they keep right. ignoring us, we'll be fine. <laughs> Just let us be queer and leave us alone, please. Exactly. Just leave us be, right? (laughs) So Boston marriages. Boston marriages are Mm -hmm. uh, this cohabitation of of two women. They were usually wealthy, usually independently wealthy, or at least one of them was. Uh, And they were often from New England, though these these occurred all over the country and even in other Mm -hmm. countries as well. Um, College educated, financially independent. They had their own careers. They're, you know, these are women who want to be able to to just live their lives without having to be tied down to a husband and children, which is mm-hmm. kind of the norm in America at the time. This is kind of during the late 19th century. Um, mm-hmm. And you may know more about this, but from what I know, the term Boston marriage, even though Boston marriages existed before this, like it becomes popularized in the 1880s by a novel written by Henry James. Yeah, called the Bostonian, the Bostonians. Right, and yeah, he right. never used that term himself to describe mm-hmm. it, but the book is about two women um, who live in a a marriage-like relationship. And so that's how they came to be known as Boston marriages. Um, And I do think it's important to point out that Boston marriages were 
almost exclusively um, a privilege of wealthy white women. Um, I have actually looked for examples of Boston marriages involving um, Black women or other women of color, and I really couldn't find any. Um, I'm sure they're out there somewhere, because certainly there were Black women who were financially independent and college educated. But um, I do think it's important to point out that this was um, a privilege of whiteness and wealth that was not equally accessible to um, women throughout the country, unfortunately. Yeah, absolutely. So many of these kind of like outside the norm behaviors, outside of the norm behaviors are only accessible to, to mm -hmm. women, to white women during during history, because, you know, they, they're the only ones who are going to have generational wealth. A lot of these women mm -hmm. are wealthy because of inheritance uh, and not necessarily because they've done anything to, to earn money themselves, uh, mm -hmm. though some of these cases are, are of women who have, you know, jobs they're teaching at colleges and things like that as well but mm -hmm. it certainly is it's a very much a like a, a wealthy white woman or at least upper middle class white woman kind of kind of thing that they get to do uh mm -hmm. that being said henry james book the bostonian like got absolutely <laughs> roasted by people because it was yes super super like anti-feminist <laughs> and anti he was not he was not writing a book that was like positive about this kind of relationship. No. And that's, and yeah. that's the thing it's, it, you know, it's, I feel like Boston marriage is probably one of those terms that um, like so many other terms applied to the queer community started out as like a little bit of a jab, a little bit of a slur, yeah. um, you know, and now has been reclaimed to describe this very unique type of relationship that took place during this very unique point in American history. And especially in, um, uh, in feminist history, you know, right around the end of the 19th century, beginning of the 20th. So yeah, yeah I feel like it's one of those. <laughs> yeah. So um, what, what do you find especially interesting about Boston marriages? So the thing that I think is so interesting is that, um, you know, first of all, sort of unpicking the, the different types of Boston marriages, I think is really interesting because some of these women were just friends. They were straight women who were uninterested in tying themselves to a man in um, getting married, having children. And this was kind of the only way that they could, um, that they could gain that type of independence because, you know, these are a lot of women who, um, you know, were college educated and then went on to become teachers. Like there's a whole sort of subset of Boston marriages that take place around Wellesley college and they are called Wellesley marriages. And it's basically yeah. just like the faculty of Wellesley all, um, you know, living with or being in relationship with each other. So, um, you know, it's sort of interesting to unpick, like, who were the women who were straight women who were friends who were uninterested in um, getting married, who sort of joined forces? Um, who were the women who were in romantic, but maybe not sexual relationships with these, um, with their partners? And then who were the women who were just, you know, what today we would call lesbians who were in, um, you know, a, a marriage in every sense of the word. And so I think it's interesting how this little microcosm covered all of these different types of women, um, you know, women who were seeking independence, um, women who were today who might identify as asexual, but romantic, um, you know, homoromantic, but asexual, um, you know, so I just think it's interesting that it's like this little microcosm, but even within that, it's so many different types of women and so many different reasons for being in these relationships, but all of them are driven by wanting to be independent from either the men in their family or from being forced to marry a man. Right. Yeah. And I think I think it's interesting because I, I like to use the word queer for this mm -hmm. in general sense, because even the straight women, I think, in this context, historically fit kind of under the the uh, the 
umbrella of queer because they are doing something that's abnormal it's outside the norm of of mm -hmm. what's considered socially acceptable um mm -hmm. so you know they're 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 queer representation regardless of their, <laughs> their romantic or, or sexual proclivities in their in their uh relationship they're, they're queer in the broadest sense of being yeah. you know and this is something that i have talked about on yester queers repeatedly about why i use the word queer and why it's so important um you know because queerness really is um, something that is abnormal, which is not to say unnatural, but it is to say outside the bounds of this very narrow distinction of, um, you know, heterosexual monogamous, you know, they are, Boston marriages are outside of that, regardless of the individual relationships that the women in them have with each other. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's completely, completely accurate. Yeah, I think the Wellesley College, college thing in particular is really interesting, because I know that a lot of the women who were in these relationships at Wellesley College were in those relationships, not necessarily because they were or weren't queer w women, mm -hmm. right? But that because if they got married, they would be dismissed from their teaching jobs. And so even exactly. if they were interested in having a romantic relationship with men, they couldn't do that and mm -hmm. remain in their in their career. So they had to choose kind of what's more important to them. And they um, weren't allowed to live alone. Like it yeah. wasn't, you know, today um, a woman can get an apartment and live alone and that's fine. But that was a that was a thing that was not only socially frowned on, but was literally not legal. Like you just, they couldn't right. do it. Well, you, so, could, you know, women were not going to be able to get, a, you know, if you wanted to go and buy an apartment, where are you going to get a mortgage as a single woman, right? The only yeah. way you'd be able to do it, even if, even if you had, and even if you had, independent wealth uh, mm -hmm. that you could just purchase something with. It wasn't going to be easy to get somebody to sell you, sell you property or things like that. Yeah. Uh, and I know uh, Lillian Faderman, who has uh, written the book, written kind of the book on Boston marriage, so right? I love her work so much. Uh, in 1981, she writes Surpassing the Love of Men, which is really mm -hmm. just a huge documentation of Boston marriage. And she had done a study uh, that said that of the 53 women faculty at Wellesley, only one woman was conventionally mm -hmm. married to a man. All of the other ones <laughs> with a female companion. And I'm like, Wellesley mm -hmm. College, hmm, maybe I should have applied there for a PhD program. Sounds like my kind of, no, no, not sounds like my kind of place. I don't know. But um, sounds like a fun place to live, or at least as fun as it could get in the late 1800s for women uh, anyway. I mean, just imagine all the parties that must have been. I mean, you know, I think there's a, I think there was an incredible sense of freedom that came with having um, sort of beaten the system a little mm -hmm. bit, you know, like having, having found a way to rebel within this very strict system that was still sort of on the up and up, you know, and it was still, um, it was still like respectable, you know, and they, um, you know, could still hold their heads up in public and whatever, but they still found this way to rebel that I think is so genius. They got to keep their jobs. They got to mm -hmm. you know, work at a women's only college. They didn't really mm -hmm. have to deal with too many men in the gen in a general sense anyway, because they're at a mm -hmm. women's college. And then they get to, you know, they get to live their lives and have property and have a house and, and whatever mm -hmm. else that they need. And and have, you know, have that kind of independence, which is so rare for women during this time period. It's just incredibly rare for it. Uh, and a huge number of them also, uh, you know, got to live those lives with women who were probably the love of their lives, you know, right. and yeah. that I think, um, I think the importance of that can't be overstated, you know, exactly. that they were sort of um, bucking the system in plain sight, which I just, I love everything about that. I love it. Yeah, that they got they got away with it. And it was considered socially, socially respectable, which unfortunately is going to become not so so uh, once we get sure. to the 1920s. And I, uh, I kind of want to go back and talk about how women got got away with it. 
Um, mm-hmm. A really interesting, weird period of history. If you go way Very. back in, in women's history, there's some of this idea that women are licentious and they're the original sin and all of these things. But then somewhere mm-hmm. around like the 1700s and 1800s, we start to mm-hmm. kind of go into this weird period of time where women are seen as passionless, where mm-hmm. they just don't have any sexual sexual needs or sexual urges in some way. Mm-hmm. They're very considered to be very asexual. And so we get into this period of time in which the idea of two women being together, it's like, well, what would they do, right? And we still get right. that today from-, from that, Yes. Like, like, oh, oh, that hasn't changed. Together, what, what are they gonna do? Like, there's nothing, you know, nothing they can do. And it's like, um, you're just not very creative, are you, buddy? Those but people lack imagination, Mary. They do, <laughs> straight men usually do. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, to my straight you're not wrong. friends, I'm not talking about you. But you right. know, right? Like you know, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah, and I think it's really funny that I was reading an article about this, an, a- an academic article about this. Uh, it's called "Passionless: An Interpretation of Victorian Sexual Ideology." It's by mm-hmm. uh, by Nancy Cott. This is this is a little bit of an, an older article. It's from 1978, um, but in it, she kind of makes this this. Um, she's not saying it's true that she can prove it but mm-hmm. she seems to be kind of implying that this began to appear because women just didn't want to have sex with their husbands i mean um, yeah right and they, it was a way for them to control their sexuality control their their reproductive reproduction production in a time where they didn't have access to birth control and things like that mm-hmm. uh and so you start it's not easy that, access to it you know women being like not tonight honey i have a headache kind of mm-hmm. thing going on where they're like yeah i'm just not into it thanks i'm not i don't want to do this tonight uh, and kind of taking control of their of their of their sexual congress with their husbands which is very mm-hmm. un, very rare for women to be able to do during this time period as well i mean mm-hmm. I, every time i teach women's history i i talk about the fact that you know it wasn't until like the 1970s that marital rape is made illegal in all 50 states in america mm-hmm. uh, and it's, it's not it's not common for women to be able to say no to their husband mm-hmm. at all and uh throughout history and so they get away with this but also it, it creates this illusion in society that women are just they're not interested. They're not interested mm-hmm. in that kind of things. So if you put two women together in a house, well, all they're going to do is I don't know needlepoint and mm-hmm. uh, and like play with their cats. Ha <laughs> ha. That's <laughs> yeah. I know. I just made a really horrible joke. If anyone's <laughs> listening, I didn't make that joke. Didn't make it. You didn't hear it. Um. Yeah. Oh, so, so that's what all the men these days are saying about women. Oh, they're just you know lonely old ladies with their cats and it's like i don't think you understand the joke you're you're implying well and i think another thing that's interesting is that this is also you know late 19th century into the early 20th is also well maybe not so much the early 20th but it's also a time where romantic friendships um between two men and between two women are a thing that exist and are expected um and i think that that i think that that sort of plays into that the sense of like women aren't sexual creatures because they um you know the assume that the affection between women is just this um sort of emotionally intimate friendship which was also a thing that men shared with each other at the time um and so i also again it's a little bit of a way to sort of like stay under the radar you know like oh she's just my just my dear gal pal just my dear bosom buddy my, my closest, the closest other half of my heart. That's just the yeah. 
about each other because that's normal. Uh, yeah. And it was. I mean, it was normal for completely sure. straight relationships, but it does make it really hard sometimes to negotiate the history of actual women from this period because so much of the writing, like the letters being written between people who were straight uh, and the, yeah. versus the letters being written between women who were in romantic relationships with each other, sometimes there's not very much difference. And so that leads no. to of like you know and historians will call them best friends you know kind of concept where you know well we don't know this is just the way mm -hmm. women talk to each other back in the day but i do i mean i like particularly uh ann fields and sarah uh sarah orangeuette who are two of mm -hmm. them who are like very well known and as being part yep. of in, in a boston marriage who were definitely mm -hmm. in a you know legit boston marriage not yeah that was friends. <laughs> we would just call that marriage today call it a marriage, right <laughs> Uh, and and they'll, they wrote, you know, poetry back and forth to mm -hmm. each other, things like that. And it's so obvious, like the, the level of true affection and, and not just, not just like emotional affection, but, you know, sexual affection is, is, is clear in these, in these poems, you know, uh, yeah. you remember darling a year ago today when we gave ourselves to each other, like that's not, mm -hmm. that's not straight. There's definitely some clearance. It's not. And this is like, that tends to be the line that I look for when I'm researching stuff like this. And it's one of reasons I find Alexander Hamilton and John Lorenz so complicated because their letters <laughs> go back and forth. Um, but I I am always looking for the undertone of physicality, which is not to say I don't want to say that a, that a physical relationship is required for a relationship to be romantic or committed. Um, but generally, when I'm looking through letters like this, I'm looking for that kind of, um, that kind of burn that is separate and distinct from you know, yeah. you are the sister of my heart, um, you know, which is also emotional intimacy, but like that tends to be what I'm looking for um, between the lines. Yeah, exactly. Which is, you know, when we get, there, there are so many cases where people will try to deny it and be like, I, I dare you, I dare you to find an explanation in this piece of poetry that that would not be a, like a sexual explanation for this line. Um, right. <laughs> attempt. I would love to see you try to figure that out. Uh, and it does. Please tell me what the touching of the soft petals with their dewy drops means to you, sir. Right. Oh, they were just picking <laughs> flowers. Uh huh. That's exactly what they were doing, right? Isn't it? Oh my gosh. I'm trying to remember right now for the particular poet who write writes something about her, you know, best friend. Where it's like mm. I miss the taste of your mouth, and it's like, right. it's like <laughs> that's not a straight thing to say. We're not gonna. Mm. We can't. We can't write that out of history. We can't pretend that they that they clearly <laughs> like yeah. you don't know the taste of somebody's mouth unless like come on now uh, yeah there is this idea too at the time like you said like these close close semi or pseudo ro romantic relationships were kind of this norm at the time uh and it, it's true because there was to a degree it was seen that they were like practicing right like they're mm -hmm. like practicing for marriage but it's right. in a socially acceptable way <laughs> and it, I'm like, oh yeah, because that's mm -hmm. that's what that's what every young queer girl has said to to her. when they're making out with their best friends. Yeah, and I'm just practicing. We're just practicing kissing. It's not anything, you know. It's nothing. It's nothing serious, right? We're just practicing. We just, just want to make sure that we know how to do it, so that when we start kissing boys, uh, plot twist: you're never going to start kissing boys. One of you is going to start kissing boys, but the other one. <laughs> It was happen. me. I was the one who started kissing boys. <laughs> I think I've, I've I've kissed a couple of boys in my time. No, no, no gold star here. Hate that term. Um, but I hate that term so time, much. That I is another it. episode about how much I hate that term. <laughs> we could definitely do a whole other episode on that. <laughs> uh, it's just just a kind of the casual um, 
anti, you know, anti-bisexual vibe that comes off in some. Yes. The biphobia is real. The panphobia. The yeah. really is. They're like, well, you can't really be queer because you once kissed a guy. Like, that's not how that works. Not how anything works. You know, but I think that's also sort of what's, um, you know, with these Boston marriages and these relationships, I also think that that was, <clears throat> I think, and I, I'm trying to remember what book it's in. It might be in, um, it might be in, in the one about the queer history of the suffragettes, or maybe it was a paper I read. I wish I could remember, but um, talking about how these relationships are also a really great place for um, homoromantic sapphic asexuals to sort of hide in plain sight. Um, you know, because they could be with their partners and living together without any, um, expectation or pressure that they, um, would have to participate in something that they were not interested in participating in. And I think that that's such a, I think that's such a wonderful little pocket that those, um, that those people in this very, you know, sort of rare air of like wealthy enough to do it, educated enough to do it, um, but were able to just live their lives and then it was all fine and they could just fly under the radar. And I always find it kind of odd that there was this period of time where I'm not going to say that being gay was accepted. It was not being queer was not acceptable in society, (laughs) but it was sort of seen as like a, you, whatever it really was, whatever you do within your own house is your business. Mm -hmm. Nobody really kind of is, nobody's asking too many questions about what happens within your own home. And it's not until like kind of the, 1920s and up that we start to see like really really big push against on like sodomy laws and things like that and and that's really when the practice of boston marriages begins to die off and it's i think in a way it was kind of an unfortunate also effect of the sexual liberation of the 1920s i was just going to say that the combination of the suffrage movement uh, which I'm going to shout out that amazing book called Public Faces, Secret Lives by Wendy Rouse, which is about the queer history of the women's suffrage movement. It's so amazing. I want to read that, definitely. It's so good. Um, but uh, sort of the combination of the of the sexual liberation of the 20s and the women's suffrage movement uh, had the unintended consequence of making people look at women and go, oh, wait, maybe these are people with, um, you know, like hopes and dreams and passions and wants and needs independent of what the men in their life need and want. Right, <laughs> just like just extensions of men, they are yeah. real people. And as a result, like, so it's, 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 a, it's a double-edged sword where you start mm-hmm. to see, like, they're like, oh, they remember women exist uh, and realize that women have needs and wants and sexual desires. And they're like, wait, wait, if women have those, then what's going on? Wait a minute. Who are living together and not ever dating any men or getting married or any like that. There's something, there's something hinky about this. And so women begin to get accused of, you know, accused of lesbianism, uh, Mm -hmm. which is at the time, you know, still illegal. Um, And, and, you know, it's not something that men are much more prone to being, you know, actually put in jail for that crime during this time period than women, but still it's not socially acceptable. And they cause them to lose their, what, what jobs they had and what respect they Mm -hmm. had in their society. Uh, And so women have to pull away from this. Yeah. And the independence of women has always been a threat to a patriarchal system. Right. And I also think that what happened with Boston marriages, not only, um, you know, because that also like the beginning of the 20th century is such an interesting time in American history, because it is also the period in time across the country where the country as a whole is getting more conservative. It's when we're starting to rewrite the mythology of the frontier to tell this, you know, sort of 
disgusting manifest destiny, you know, strapping men and yeah. Yeah. And so this is happening across the country. And so, and, and I, Boston marriages, I think are just another, um, you know, another, uh, victim of this thing happening, because I also think they sort of reached a tipping point where it was like, you know, it was mostly fine. They were like concentrated around universities in new England, mostly, um, you know, but then I think we got sort of to like a saturation point, you know, where suddenly it was like, wait a minute, women want to be able to vote and they want to be able to show their knees and have sex and drink alcohol. And now they want to live together and not rely on men in any hold up. Uh, this is, you know, so I think it all right? sort of, you right. know, I think yeah. we've had so many periods in American history where we had these sort of like brief um, I won't say halcyon because we've always had a lot of problems, but brief moments in history, you know, like reconstruction is like that. We're like for a very brief moment, we were on the right track and things were going in the right direction. And then it all just blew up spectacularly, you know, and I sort of feel Somebody that way. Somebody has to mess it up, which I eat <laughs> men. Straight white men. <laughs> uh, straight white men mostly, but men in general. Yeah, it's like, uh-huh, I think this might be your problem. Like, I think you may have caused this problem. Right. Uh, I think it goes into also I think what you're saying about like they're saying oh women are now kind of they're getting some more independence and things like mm -hmm. that and I think it ties in nicely to some of the things we're seeing today with like men's mm -hmm. rights activists and people like that who are who are like well you know women just have to their high expectations are too high and men you know they don't need oh it anymore and that's a horrible thing and it's like well no it's not a horrible thing it's saying that you need to rise up you need to be better so that yeah women will want to be in a relationship with you not need to be in a relationship with you and i think that goes into this a lot where it is like, like saying women don't need us they can just mm -hmm. rely on each other and have their own money and have their can't own have that that's no find a way to push it back to, to, to push women back uh which is exactly what mras and and trad wives and all of that are, are trying to do now which is the idea that like oh women shouldn't be able to vote and women shouldn't be able to work outside the home because it makes it harder for us to be needed um and, and yeah like, or it's like it's you know it's it's forcing us to change and grow and adapt and become better humans and like that's sorry bad. you don't want to do the work i don't i don't know what to tell you that's right. that's and i don't i don't know you know i'm not really a sociologist so i don't know if this is an american thing or a western thing or or what but this this desire to sort of like drag people down to where you are as opposed to rising up to where they are is just it makes me crazy you know like the the whole reason that people exist in communities is to like grow better together to do things together to, and it just oh it makes me insane it just well, and, I, and insane. I don't think it's a purely american uh, purely an american problem or even a western problem there are, you know there are just a human problem <laughs> i think it's just a human problem and i think it, it depends culturally like different cultures have different ways of doing it because i know that in mm -hmm. Uh, there is kind of this stigma against being exceptional in some countries, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that we have that, that's a problem in a lot of Scandinavian countries where the idea of being exceptional isn't something to be proud of. Or mm -hmm. in Japan, the idea of like this, the nail that sticks out gets hammered down. Like mm -hmm. if you're different, if you go outside the norm, that's that's not something to be, uh, mm -hmm. that's to be celebrated. Mm -hmm. um, and we see that a lot. And, and of course, we also see every culture has had these periods of time where 
you start to see a little bit of an increase in the rights of the oppressed, especially women or mm -hmm. people of color. And then you very quickly see a backlash against that where it pushes yeah. back the other direction. And yeah. like you said, the 1920s is this weird period of time. Well, the 20s itself is the roaring 20s. We're, we're, mm -hmm. over, we're having a fun, fun post-war period for a bit. <laughs> then, then we start to see that push back again with the 40s. <laughs> yeah, it's not a great, I mean, people wanted to let their hair down and have a party after everybody died from the Spanish flu, right? It's <laughs> thing. Um, but like, we'd see that push back again because we start to see yeah. the of things like fascism in America mm -hmm. and, and things like that. And it was just earlier today, I, I was walking through the living room and uh, the other people in my house are watching uh, a, a documentary on the German-American Bund in America. And, the, the <laughs> and I was like, yep, there you go. There's the growth of fascism in America. Have, have you read Rachel Maddow's latest book? It is so good. I, I have it. It's coming. It's coming soon. I've got it shipping. I think it should be here next week on Amazon. So it's I, so good, but also just so infuriating. Just and so and then obviously it's why she wrote it right now. But it's so um, so resonant to what's going on now of like, you know, how close to the knife's edge um, we really are. And it just oh, it's so good. Yeah, this has nothing to do with Boston marriages, but it's so oh. good. And I need you to read it so that we can talk about it. I will. I will. I, will. I think it's coming next. It's coming sometime this week uh, in the mail. I know that I ordered it, but uh, I'll probably have to have, maybe we'll have another episode talking about it just because it'll be. Okay. Oh. <laughs> uh, no, there's so many things. And I think, I think it honestly does tie in really well in, in kind of a general large concept of what we're talking mm -hmm. about here, which is that is that we are seeing once again, that pushback. 20s. 30s, you get that pushback that ruins this one good thing that women had going mm -hmm. for them. And again, we're seeing that same thing now. It's something I tell my students all the time when we're talking about history, which is that anytime anything, you know, goes wrong, somebody is going to find somebody to blame it on. Uh, and it's usually mm -hmm. immigrants or women or, you know, whatever. You're going to find someone who's outside of the, the power mm -hmm. structure to blame for it. And you're going to try to, to destroy anything good that they have. And we're seeing that right now in this, in this, right? We're coming up on, uh, you know, coming up on like what, two years now since Roe, Roe was overturned, mm -hmm. things like that, which is exactly what they're doing in this case is, is trying to make it more and more difficult for women to thrive, mm -hmm. more difficult for women to be able to work outside the home. Um, I'm going to go off in a feminist rant here, but did you see the guy from Kentucky about who was you're gonna have to be more specific yeah i know it's kentucky right? <laughs> guy in kentucky who's wanting to pass pass legislations to protect unconceived fetuses oh god yeah i mean between that and the the dude who um uh is trying to make it legal for people to have sex with their first cousins and you know and the thing about that is that everyone's like oh it was a mistake he had it's not a mistake they're going after abortion because one of the only reasons that people will allow abortion is in the case of incest and right. so if you get incest off the books then now there's no reason right it's not a problem anymore it's totally fine kentucky i'm like why does kentucky consistently trying to live down to everyone's worst expectations of them no and can i say i have i've spent a weird amount of time in kentucky because like i've worked on a project there the people of kentucky are lovely and normal and it just like everywhere it's just the freaking legislators legislators who were so insane but like everybody I'm says just... we're a bunch of hicks so we're gonna prove it like i i don't know why 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 are you trying to make your state's reputation worse i yeah i i have a problem with kentucky itself 
<laughs> good stuff about Kentucky. It's People just, of Kentucky, why, we love you. <laughs> your legislators, legislators need some help. The way that they are, like, please do something about them well, in a completely legal way. Just vote them out of office. I'm not saying to do anything bad. Just <laughs> the thing, you know, the thing that's so interesting to me is, and you can see this with Boston marriages. Um, you can see it, like my particular area of nerdery within the vast realm of queer history is uh, queer history of the American frontier. Um, I am just, I'm fascinated by it because I, you know, I think people don't understand how queer and also a little bit how socialist the American frontier was um, before we started rewriting the narratives. And you can see this in a bunch of, um, you know, queer people and especially trans people on the American frontier. Like you can watch how the stories that are told about them change as the country is going through this um, this period of really rewriting its own mythology and really um, sort of retconning the entire history of the frontier. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they just literally in season three were like, you know what, we're just, none of that happened, we're gonna rewrite it. And, yeah. and I think you can see that happening with Boston marriages too, because there are, um, there are several cases of, uh, trans people on the American frontier, just living in their communities, um, especially uh, trans men who married widows with children. Um, and they, you know, had long marriages and raised kids and had farms or whatever. Um, a lot of times the communities didn't even know they were trans until they died. Um, and then it was sort of like not an issue. You know, they were just like, oh, didn't know that about Frank. And then they sort of went on with their lives. Uh, but then as the story starts to change, you suddenly, you know, these trans people are the um, you know, the worst thing that ever happened to the country and they're destroying the morals and they're ruining the frontier. And like, and you can see that happening with Boston marriages too, because for a while they were absolutely seen as a completely respectable, um, you know, expected way for, you know, women who weren't suited for marriage to sort of get on with their lives. And you can watch the stories about them change where you're, you're talking about the same women in the same relationships, but suddenly, you know, they're suspected of being, you know, lesbians and perverts and they're, um, you know, they're, they're drawing young women into their web of it just, <laughs> but it's like, that's the thing that kills me is that you're talking about the same people and it's just the story around them that is changing and being able as historians to stand back and watch that story change is wild. It's wild. It is it wild. Is, it's, it's mind boggling because you see it happening and it happens over and over again. And then you watch it happen again, like in the modern day on mm -hmm. an issue and it's like do you you guys realize that we've done this before we've had mm -hmm. this conversation before and realized you know like th that we were wrong in that case too so why are you doing this yeah mm -hmm. and I, on the frontier you mentioning the frontier it was an episode i did a little while ago which was women mm -hmm. in homesteading and mm -hmm. um and it was i mean that's one of the things that i I didn't really talk about it a lot in there, but there were women mm -hmm. that were homesteading together. Like they would get mm -hmm. their homesteading land together and then they'd build their house across their property line and they lived together. And uh, some of them would end up marrying men, mm -hmm. but a lot of times they just stayed together and farmed their farmed. And it's like, that's, that's not, uh, we can't call it a Boston marriage because it's not New England. It's not around. <laughs> It's an Oklahoma marriage. Oklahoma marriage. I don't know. I think an Oklahoma marriage has more to do with the, the incest law. We talked about earlier. Oh, um, but... That's not fair to Oklahoma. <laughs> Sorry, Oklahoma. I'm from Arkansas. Everybody makes those jokes about my state too. It's yeah, fair. The way it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, it's just there. One of my favorite stories is that there were um, when 
you know, fur trapping was a was a huge trade for a while. And when um, fur trapping sort of got out of fashion, when the bottom fell out of the whole industry, there were a bunch of male fur trappers who, you know, had lived for years, lived together in camps and like trapped together and worked together and decided they just didn't feel like rejoining society. They were sort of uninterested in that. And like 20 or 30 of them all bought this big piece of land in um, Arizona, I think, or maybe New Mexico and just moved there, all these men together. And just like, they just stayed together. They were not interested in being a part of sort of this new story that was being told or like rejoining this new world. And they just went and founded a queer fur trappers colony and they all stayed there till they died. And that's like, it's my favorite story. And also I wish I could have hung out with all of those men because I am sure that was a slightly cranky good time. If I ever win the lottery, I am so starting a queer commune somewhere I am there we will be hidden away no one will know where we are it'll be well it won't just be queer I'll allow I'll allow all my 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 great female friends to join in <laughs> I'm an excellent gardener I'm a really uh, good cook uh, I'm, 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 I'm a good baker you know it'll be great we'll be, <laughs> I am however a terrible gardener so but yeah I think I'm I think it'll be great, great. we'll just we'll just bring up the Boston marriages thing only turn it into a commune and then we'll all <laughs> it'll be great it's perfect sounds like the best situation we could possibly be in maybe uh maybe uh, i'll win the lottery soon and we can make this happen yeah i love it i'm in sounds great yeah it doesn't so, sound like i'm joining a cult at all sounds great i mean come on now who wouldn't want to join a cult run by me i'm great um, I'm awesome. it's I'm me sure. i would not like to join any cult run by anyone okay fair enough it's not <laughs> it's not going to demand anything from you except <laughs> So I'll have to wear white dresses and we all have to braid our hair the same way. <laughs> no, absolutely not. not doing that. We're not, we're not turning this into midsummer. We're not, <laughs> not what we're going for here at all. Still don't get your thoughts and marriages to our queer commune. <laughs> I have questions. Uh, people are just like, what, what are we listening to anymore? Right. <laughs> that episode has gone off the rails. <laughs> this is how guest episodes go. My most recent guest episode with uh, uh, with Elena went, went kind of off the rails too. <laughs> but, you know, it, it's all right. We get we get into these co- weird conversations occasionally. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it, it. You know, truly, it's because you cannot put, you cannot talk about just one thing in history mm-hmm. because it is all interconnected, and especially when you are talking about any groups that have been historically marginalized, whether that is women or queer people or black people, like there is so much intersection in the way that those groups are oppressed and the way that they are, you know, prevented from, um, you know, thriving essentially that it's like, you can't, you can't just talk about Boston marriages because you have to talk about the context of like what was going on in the world at the time. And like, why did it change? Why do we have sort of like 50 years give or take where where Boston marriages were fine and then suddenly everyone thought they were super weird <laughs> like, yeah, because it, just... it also because it applies to the modern day like we're saying it, it, yeah you can see it repeating in history and and that's one of the biggest struggles I have when teaching like non-history majors history is that they think mm-hmm. it's just a bunch of boring stuff that doesn't apply to their lives and I'm like yeah let's <laughs> try to explain to you how this is still ongoing and how the lessons yeah. that we can learn from this can be applied here uh we were talking mm-hmm. about about um tenement buildings and and how bad mm-hmm. they were in it during the 1800s that i was like mm-hmm. you know people started rioting because of the fact that their rents were too high and they're they were living in t- horrible places uh mm-hmm. being up kept and, I, and then i stopped and i was like huh 
Sounds like today. (laughs) That sounds familiar. (laughs) Sounds like maybe we might have not learned our lesson from this, but uh, which, you know, I'm sure some student is going to be like, she's being too political. I did. I literally said in class on Friday night, I was like, I hate landlords. I mean, not (laughs) landlords. And then one of the kids are like, but also just landlords. I was like, also just landlords. Yeah. I mean, you you know, I think it's, I always, the thing that's interesting to me, because as you know, like I am not a, and I'm, I'm not an academic historian. I did not, um, you know, come up through the university system. I don't have a doctorate or anything. So one of the things that, that I realized sort of very organically is that when you start to study these things and look at how everything is connected, like it's, do you remember those magic eye posters you might be a little too young but they were like super huge in like the 90s and it was like you know it just looks like a page full of swirls and you have to like you know focus just right and then you can see like a sailboat or whatever and that is um very much how history feels to me now where it's like I can't I can't not see the boat you know of like oh I see how this is all connected I see how we sort of keep repeating this cycle and I think a lot of people would probably find that I think a lot of people probably do find that discouraging but in a way, I find it sort of hopeful because we don't we don't go all the way back every time, you know, and it's a it's a frustrating way to make progress because I think we all want things to be, you know, linear and easy. And this is definitely <laughs> it's definitely a three steps forward, two steps back kind of situation. Um, trying, but we're not quite, you know, we're not quite falling all the way back, but we're not quite moving all the way forward either at the same time, which is unfortunate. And yeah. We just gonna. I think we. I think that's just the nature of the beast because we do mm-hmm. some long term fight between like the progressive side of things and the and the conservative side of things and people who hate change and don't want anything to change yeah. because you know it's gonna make life more difficult for them somehow. Somehow, uh, and that's a, that's the thing that kills me, especially about um, you know, especially about all of this this viciously cruel legislation around trans people. I'm like. How does the existence of trans people impact your life at all? Yeah. Like it does, it doesn't. It somebody whipped you up about this, you know, you saw a, a post on, you know, whatever right-wing website, and now you're all spun up about it. But it's like trans people have existed since the beginning of history, and it has literally no impact on your life whatsoever. Right. How would you, you know, how how I I can think of a number of things that I'm more concerned about than anything. Like there at, at no point has a trans person being in the bathroom with me ever been on the list of things I'm worried about, like at all. Um, I would, I would take a hundred trans women in a bathroom over one creepy straight dude. Right. Exactly. I have no, you know, and I think that really is, I think it's what it comes down to is like that they are afraid that they are just losing control of the narrative and losing control of, of the situation. Yeah. And I do think, and I think, and I do think this is what happened um, also at the time when Boston marriages, suddenly people started looking at them side eye, is I do think that, um, I do think that men in particular, straight men, legitimately feel sort of like lost in the modern world um, because all the things they were promised are not true. Like they do not have dominion over the world. Like they don't get to decide what women do with their bodies. So I think, um, I, I, I think rightfully there are a lot of people who feel very lost and very angry and scared. Um, the problem is how they are expressing that, yeah. you know, and that they are trying to hold tighter to this idea of this world that never existed. You know, they have this vision in their heads that comes out of some leave it to beaver reruns about like how the world used to be. And that never, 
investment world literally never existed. Never uh, maybe for a certain subset of middle-class white people, but certainly not for anybody else. Um, and I think that's what you see in the twenties too, where suddenly people are like, oh my God, I don't understand the world. Oh my God, I don't understand young people. Oh my God, it's all, it's all gone insane. Um, you know, and it just this, it's, I mean, in general, every, I think almost everything terrible that happens is at some point driven by uh, fear and lack of understanding, um, you know, which does not remove certainly the uh, responsibility for that. Like, you don't, you don't, you don't get to do things just because you're afraid of change and that that makes it a dozen. But, but I do think we're seeing still murder kind of situation. Like you've got, but that doesn't make it a good reason to do what you're doing. And I think one of the things that I think today, especially one of the things that we're we're dealing with, and uh, I have a bumper sticker on the back of my car and it's Mm -hmm. always funny to me that, that I, you know, guys, guys driving trucks like to tailgate me. I think it's because I see the sticker and it's, you know, one of those, uh, you know, uh, have the, confidence of a mediocre white man sticker yes (laughs) and and i know it makes him mad and and i'm like well you're just telling on yourself because you think you're a mediocre white but i think what it comes down to is that that they feel like they've been promised a certain amount of certain something because of a white man they've been promised a certain level of success or notoriety or something and now that's not enough being a white man isn't enough to get that anymore you have to actually go above and beyond and I think a lot of this has to do with, and this is getting off topic again, but uh, this will be a great episode for off topic. Um, <laughs> it'll be a chaotic episode for Valentine's chaotic, Day. Happy Valentine's okay. Day, everybody. <laughs> I think it's great because it all just, you know, connects. But I think a, a good portion of this um, is to do with like, I'm writing a writing a, a research paper right now in the 1950s. And um, mm-hmm. I think it has to do a lot with the, the, the weird promise that we made with the American dream. Right. Yes, if you yes. are, if you are, if you work hard and you do everything you're supposed to do, you'll be mm-hmm. wealthy. You'll make a success mm-hmm. out of yourself. And we see so many people that's not happened to. And instead yeah, of it's an absolute blaming, lie, Just... right? Instead of blaming the lie and saying, "Hey, mm-hmm. we lied to you about how to get success," we're going to blame the people we see as the problem, which is I don't know, women being in the workforce or yeah. people or black people or whoever mm-hmm. else, because it's not it's. You know, it's not even their fault necessarily that they haven't been successful and they haven't become mm-hmm. the next Elon Musk, right? It's yeah. like the system doesn't work for anybody except billionaires. Like newsflash, the system is stacked against literally everybody to varying degrees. Like and, white men, it's stacked against the least, but yeah. and so still you stacked. see that, and you see that when they realize the lie or they realize that they are not getting what they've been promised, and this goes all mm-hmm. the way back to the Boston marriage thing, they have to lash out against somebody. And in yeah. the case of the 1920s and 1930s that is people of color and it is also women who are not not giving them their due right not being being subservient to them because they're saying this is causing us a problem because women are deciding to be independent and that's not helpful for us uh yeah i was i was promised a a wife and a mother for my children and you know that's how the women aren't doing that what i want and you know that's unfortunate it's like maybe work on yourself or work on the system that promised you things they but that's harder, but that's hard. I mean, literally that's harder. And I think the thing that is true of, you know, I think again, all, all people from groups have been marginalized to varying degrees. Um, it's easier to see this scaffolding of the oppression, you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas if you are a person for whom the system has theoretically been designed and you are not thriving in that system, um, 
you know, your your first inclination is not going to be to look at the scaffolding and to blame the system, like your first inclination. And again, I'm not excusing this behavior. I think it's reprehensible. And I think all of these men need to shut the fuck up and go find a good therapist and pay them a lot of money to help them work through all of this. Um, you know, but I do think that that, you know, that their first in instinct is to blame the other, to blame the unknown, to blame the new, to blame, you know, whatever it is that they don't yeah. um understand you know and it's Always and it's happens. not our problem to fix that's the other thing um i don't know if you follow uh Porsche noir on tiktok who i love and adore uh but she says this all the time you know that like there are people who are willing to teach and you should learn that but like not our responsibility you know to explain the problem to you you should be able to figure this out yourself definitely mm -hmm. uh yeah so I think it's definitely the case and it's it's kind of just a repeated thing we see it over and over again i know you say you you're saying oh it's so easy to get like bogged down in it and i'm the person who always gets <laughs> bogged down in the re repetition of everything bad like i'm just like oh, we have learned nothing like why are we see, i tend to get bogged down in the the repetition of the good of the part where people you know come together and rise up and force a change for the good of everyone that's the part that i get bogged down in <laughs> And I love that. That I love that you're you're a very positive, optimistic person about this, and I'm not. Otherwise, I'd never get off my couch, man. I would just, I would just lay on my couch in a pit of despair at all times. Like I just, I have to, I have to appreciate the fact that Boston marriages existed yeah. for a while. You yeah. know, I have to appreciate the fact that um, men coming back from World War II founded motorcycle gangs so that they could keep having queer sex and wearing uniforms, you know, like. Exactly. Like, I got to appreciate that about this. <laughs> for me, the thing that keeps me from curling up in a, in a ball and on the couch is I have Zoloft for that. That's what, that's what, that's, that's, <laughs> that's what yes. the Zoloft is for. Yes. I mean, Zoloft. yes, that is also what the Wellbutrin is for, but. Exactly. But um, yeah, I mean, I try, I do try to see the positives in, in these things. I mean, I wouldn't make this podcast if I didn't think there was some positive effect about teaching history right um uh, but yeah i mean and it's not even like i hate the sort of like you gotta stay positive like i kind of hate all of that as a uh as a life setting <laughs> yeah. but um but my default setting is optimism um my default setting is not positivity especially in that sort of like yeah. false plastic smile everything's fine kind of way right. um but my default setting is optimism and i just I, for my own mental health, if nothing else, have to believe that um, we always come back around to a time where people say enough is enough. And um, it's very hard to believe right now with all the things going on in the world. Uh, maybe sometime, maybe, maybe, maybe in a few more years, maybe things will get better. <laughs> That'd be nice. That is my hope. That's certainly. my, that's what I want. Everybody should try to make that happen. That'd be nice if we all try <laughs> to make a better place, you know, just a little bit, tiny bit. Uh, unfortunately, yeah. a lot of people don't want to make it a better place, but you know, I guess a few of us can make a change, make change on it anyway, and try. Yeah, uh, I mean, as someone who continued to do a thing I was very good at, but hated a lot that made me miserable for much too long, um, I sort of understand the whole like devil, you know, thing. I do. Yeah, I get it. So thank you so much for coming on and talk. We had, this was a great episode, despite being kind of all over the place. Cause I really I love how history interconnects on things. And so it is uh, just, uh, which, Boston marriages and other things. <laughs> That's what we're calling this episode. Uh, Boston marriages and everything else that 
you know, is a problem in the world. Um, yeah. So, oh, God. Yeah. Uh, it's a Valentine's Day episode, guys. Right. Uh, Valentine's Day. Look, is nothing a- says romance like a far-reaching conversation about history. Exactly. Yes. And That's my love language. And, and if you're, this is a great time if you are in a heterosexual relationship to explain the problems of, you know, heteronormativity to your male partner or something. I don't know. I, I don't I know. like it. I don't know what straight people do on Valentine's Day. I I don't know. Make it. I had a guy take me to Olive Garden once. I mean, it does have really good breadsticks. <laughs> they do have excellent breadsticks. Thank you. <laughs> Great. So we're, uh, I know you mentioned at the beginning of the episode where we could find you, but if you want to. Yes, you can. Here. You can find me on TikTok and Instagram at Yesterqueers and also at Yesterqueers.com. Awesome. Yep. Uh, her content is so amazing. I love all of it. So thanks. All right. Well, I will see you guys back here next week. I know, I know, I know I have not been around. I've not been putting out my weekly episode. The show is on a weird hiatus right now. This episode was pre-recorded, so I decided to go ahead and get it out on the day that it was scheduled for. Um, but this semester has just been a nightmare. Um, so it's just been a lot of work. I'm really trying to keep up with, you know, everything for my students who obviously take priority when it, there's a semester on, right? Um, so hope you guys don't mind the fact that once again, my posting schedule is a little bit chaotic. Also, I'm juggling a bunch of stuff like writing conference papers for conferences that I have to present in, in March and April. Uh, I'm writing a book chapter. There's there's a lot going on. I have a lot on my plate right now. Uh, that being said, I do have a set of plans for new episodes going forward. I just need to sit down and write them. I also have a huge slate of guests uh, that I'm going to have on. Uh, just, just a ton of great people that I'm going to have on in the coming months. Um, so please stick with me. Do not get so frustrated that you unsubscribe. That would make me feel really, really bad. Um, just, you know, keep the keep me on your uh, on your subscription page for whatever podcast uh, platform that you use and I will get back to regular posting as soon as I am possibly capable of doing so uh, but until then thanks for sticking around <laughs>